you so much. As you're seated, take your copy of the Word of God. And if you have been with us a while, your Bible may do what mine does. I lay it down and it opens to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. A couple of years ago, our church took a step of uh, faith, I believe a step of obedience, in calling an associate pastor to students. Before we got to that point of calling Andy, who is doing much more than ministering to students, before we got to that point, we started talking and praying about what kind of person we wanted for that position. So what, what I did as a pastor is I stepped back and I said, what are, the, what are the essentials? What would this person look like? Now, I wasn't thinking physical characteristics, but I figured he might have a shaved head and a goatee, but I wasn't sure. Um, Kelly and I just got back from that missions conference, and it was a collegiate missions conference, so most of the people there were in their 20s, and then there was me and Kelly and a few other guys, and most of those old guys have grown goatees and shaved their head to kind of fit in. I'm getting there. I'm close. But that just happened to be the way physically Andy looked, but more important than that, we, we asked the question, what are we looking for in a student pastor? What are we looking for in an associate? What are some essentials that we want in that position? Now, the church asked that question before they called me. When God leads us to call another staff member to add to our staff as we grow, we'll ask the same question. So what do we look for in that position, in that person, in that role? Well, in this chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul really doesn't do any specific teaching. He is wrapping up his letter to the church at Corinth. And as he mentions some things about his relationship to that church... I'm, I want us to glean some essentials of Christian leadership because as Paul shares about his life with those people, these characteristics kind of come to the, to the surface for me. And, and I just like to talk about those, some essentials for Christian leadership. And I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ, but chances are you're leading someone. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Chances are someone is following your Christian life. So let's look at these essentials for Christian leadership. Chapter 16, verse 5. The Word of God says, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time. If the Lord permits, or if the Lord allows, or if it's God's will. But I will remain in Ephesus, where he was as he wrote this letter, until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes to see that he comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him. But send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Let's look at this passage, pull some principles, some truths, some key essentials for Christian leaders. All right, number one, if you are taking notes... That is why we provide the notes in your program there. Number one, 
first essential that we take from this passage is have a clear vision. Number one ingredient, number one essential for a person to be in leadership in Christian ministry, whether you're leading a small group of three, yes, three is a small group. Bible says that, right? Actually, two could be a small group. Wherever two or three are gathered, he's there on a miss. Whether you're leading a small group of three or whether you're leading a congregation of 350, the same truth is there. You need a clear vision. Look at verse 5. He says, I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Paul had a plan. He had a desire. He had a vision for where he was going. God had placed it on his heart. He didn't make it up himself. God transformed his life on the Damascus road, and he, t- he took Saul... And, and regenerated him like he does with us. He was born again by the Spirit of God, given a new life. He was a new creation and given a new calling for his life. That's to be obedient to Christ. You say, well, that calling thing is for pastors and associate pastors. And that calling is for every believer. That vision to be, to be yielded, to be surrendered. Man, I tell you, as a choir sang, I just, I got excited. That, that we have this privilege to say, God, I surrender everything to you. You've got me. I'm yours. Have a clear vision. Our church has studied the simple church uh, to try to define what we really want to to have as a, as a, a passion for our church. What are the clear essentials, a clear vision? God has given the responsibility to me as the senior pastor. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> for 14 years, it was just the pastor. Now I are the senior pastor. He's given me this responsibility as a senior pastor to cast the vision for this church, to say, this is where we're going. I don't know if you know this, maybe you do, but if, if there is not someone always reminding us to move on, to reach out, to think of others, the tendency is for us to think of us, just to kind of turn inward. You watch it, it'll happen in a, in a connection class, a small group. It'll happen in any kind of situation where you have God's people gathered together. If someone isn't always reminding us that God didn't call us to be about us. He called us to be about others. We just have this tendency to turn in and be this holy huddle. And we build these four walls and we say, man, we're sheltered from all the big, bad, ugly things out there. And we just huddle together. God's given me this responsibility to keep reminding you it is not about us. The vision for this church is to reach others. Did you know that? We exist for those people who haven't come yet. Isn't that exciting? That, that to me is exciting. That's our clear vision that we have as a church. And we are not to rest on our accomplishments. Paul could have said right here, you know what? I've done a whole bunch. Let me list for you all the churches I've planted, all the people I've led to Christ. Let me give you, church at Corinth, everything I've done, and I'm done. And he could prop his feet up on the desk or on his stump or whatever, wherever he is, on his stone. And just prop his feet up and put his hands back behind his head and say, you know what? I've done a lot for the kingdom. I'm just going to chill and relax. He was always moving on, always thinking, not resting on his accomplishments. His goal was, I want to go to Rome. By the way, God arranged that, didn't he? As a prisoner. Then he had plans to go on to Spain, the Bible tells us. Paul had this, this clear vision and he didn't rest on his accomplishments. One of the things I prayed for as a church when we finally uh, were able to build a building that we could meet in is that we wouldn't just sit back and relax. Now, have you noticed that tendency once we got in this room and we were comfortable that we had a tendency just to be comfortable? Uh, that's my prayer is that we would never get comfortable in here. That we wouldn't say, okay, God, we've, we've made this long trek in the journey and we finally arrived. 
I think about Nehemiah. God gave him a vision to go back to Jerusalem as he was in the Babylonian captivity, to go back and to rebuild the walls. And he prayed and and he had a God-given vision and he approached the leadership there, the pagan kings, and they gave him permission to go and, and to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. That's a clear vision. See, God says to Christian leaders, you need to have a clear vision. So as long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to keep reminding you, don't get comfortable. Don't rest where you are. It's, it's about others. And I love to say this. What if we had decided the day before you came to this church that we were comfortable and had enough? What, what if we had said that day before you walked in, you know what? We're, we got it good. We don't need any new members. We don't need any new people. It's good. What would have happened if you had had if we had had that mentality before you were here? Aren't you glad we didn't? Now, who's out there? Point all around. Who's out there that hasn't walked in the doors yet? Are we prepared for them? We exist for them. I could park on that point. I think I did. So much to say. I'm going to move on. Principle number two, essential number two. First of all, a Christian leader needs to have a clear vision. Secondly, needs to be flexible. Be flexible. My middle name. That's good that more people besides my wife laughed at that one. Be flexible. Look at verse six. Paul writes, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. I think there's this sense in there that even though he has his heart set on sharing the gospel, on on strengthening this church and that church and ultimately to, to take the gospel through Europe to Spain, even though he's got this passion to do that, he says, I may come to you or wherever I may end up. There's this flexibility there in as Paul shares. By the way, he was open to God changing his plans. Are you? Somebody said, well, I'm flexible. Uh, God can change my plan, but it's easy for some of you because you have no plan. See, he, at least he had a plan to change. Some of you wake up in the morning and go, well, whatever. That sounds real spiritual. God, whatever you want to do with me today, that's true. But there needs to be some desire to be passionately involved for the kingdom, a plan, a vision. But in that vision, to be flexible. And he says... Perhaps I'll stay with you. Maybe I'll spend the winter. I'm adding a couple of words here for the sense of the passage. Maybe I'll spend the winter so that you can send me possibly on my way wherever that would be. There's a flexibility there. Don't ever get so set in your plan that you don't allow God to change your plan. Did you hear that? See, flexibility is not a sign of weakness. Our society says it is. But we lift up and we exalt leaders in ministry because they had this this tenacious spirit. We lift up leaders in industry, in business, because they wouldn't bend. And we say they're not flexible. That shows character. Really and truly, flexibility doesn't show show that as much as when you're flexible. It shows humility. To say, God, I know that I know that I believe you've led me this way. But I'm flexible to let you change that in any way that you want. My plans... Subject to God's revision. See, Paul, I I don't think Paul's plans, you go through the New Testament, you will find there are places where God stopped Paul in Acts chapter 16 and directed him another way. Chapter 15 and 16 of Acts, where he was flexible enough to say, God, I believe you're calling me this way, but I hear your, your voice calling me over there. To say, I am open. 
Does that mean the plans were wrong to begin with? It might mean that. It might just mean that God wanted you on that track so he could steer you another way. Subject to God's revision. David Livingston, a missionary of a few generations back, felt this burden and this passion for the nation of China, for the people of China. That was his desire. That was his prayer, to give his life in China. Did you know that? You know where David Livingston spent his life? Africa. Here, here is this God-given, he thought, vision to go to China. And, and in my research, my reading, that was still his passion. But God had him spend his life, literally spend his life, spent in the nation of Africa. There's a flexibility there. The Redmonds have shared about how they thought God was calling them to Malaysia. That's where they thought they were going. And God redirected and they ended up in Thailand, which was a blessing. See, God directs, God redirects, God changes. Be flexible enough for God to change your plans. Even if you're real spiritual and you say, well, those plans are from you, God, be flexible. Like the Bible speaks, God showed Jeremiah and and throughout Scripture we have this analogy that we as believers are just clay in the hands of a potter. And we don't bow up and say, I like this rigid pottery form like I am. We just have to be flexible and let the potter shape us any way he wants. So Christian leadership, clear vision, flexibility. Number three, we need to be thorough. Be thorough. Look at verse 7 and 8. He writes, For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time. He'd already spent a year and a half or so with them, and he hopes to spend more time with them because he really wants the work to be complete. Then he says, I want to remain with you for some time. Then he goes on in verse 8 to say, but I will remain in Ephesus. He he spent time in Ephesus. By the way, Paul was a church planner. He he was a starter. I think it's so significant that he would spend over a year in some of these cities. Encouraging, building, nurturing, edifying, teaching. He was thorough. He just didn't say, you're on your own. He continued to encourage them. I'm glad because, you know what? The bulk of the New Testament we have are letters written by the Apostle Paul to those churches to encourage them because he was thorough. Even if he couldn't be there, he wrote them a letter encouraging them to live the way that God had called them. Thorough. How thorough are we? How committed are we when God calls? Whether God calls you to serve in a a ministry responsibility, in a small group, or to be on a ministry team like our missions team or our prayer team or our children's ministry team, um, or wherever God calls you or if he calls you to serve on a committee, how, how thorough are we at saying, God, you, you'll have me for this responsibility as long as I'm there. It'll have my undivided attention. That ministry is what you've, where you've placed me, and I'll give my all there to be thorough. The call to preach, I was told, by my pastor was the call to prepare to be thorough see when I I was sharing this with someone this weekend at the conference when God called me to be in vocational full time ministry I struggled with that call for a good year maybe two years and as I finally got to that point in my life where yes that's what God was calling me to do and by the way I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing today I did not grow up as a little boy wishing I could be a preacher When I accepted Christ as my Savior, I did not say, gee, I hope I can be a preacher. That was not on my mind. 
but I was open. And after God finally got me to that point of saying, okay, you could use me in ministry as a pastor, then I started to think about that. How am I going to do that? And our pastor had told all of the, the church that the call to preach is the call to prepare. And I knew I've got to go back to college. And so I started adding up the three and a half semesters I'd spent at University of Texas at El Paso. And I think I may have had 15 hours after three semesters. Man, I was a student. But see, my dad was paying for it. It made a big difference. And now I'm in Houston and God's calling me and I know he's calling me. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got to go back at least three and a half years maybe more, to get my college degree. And then go to seminary, and oh my goodness, it's another four years. And I just, I just thought, I, I don't know if I can do this. Kept going back in my brain. You know what, if God's called you, you're to, you're to be prepared to do it. And that's not to say that if God calls someone without all that education, he can use them. He does. I see it happen all the time. But for me, I knew that I was going to have to go back to school, and I went to U of H. Any U of H graduates here? All right, Yay. There's usually, rarely, anyone from U of H. One Sunday morning, I made a joke about U of H, because I figured, you know, it's just me. And a couple was visiting. Yeah. I called it Cougar High. Yeah. Because that's what they called it when I was... And after the church service, they met me in the parking lot and said, uh, we enjoyed your church, but by the way, we're graduates of U of H. They didn't appreciate my joke. So I finished there, and then I went to Southwestern Seminary, and I put in four years there, and I prepared. I said, I'm going to be thorough. I'm going to be as best equipped as I can be. And when I graduated from Southwestern Seminary, I said, I'm done. I will never go back to school again. Be careful what you say never about. And I was in this church for a few years of ministry, and God started calling me. Literally, I felt another call of God to go and get another degree. And if you had told me, that I would do what I did, I never would have believed you. But God had impressed me that the call to ministry is a call to be thorough. And I believe that. I don't know where you are. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to college. You just need to be willing to prepare for whatever God's called you to do. I listened to a testimony at our mission conference. One of the ladies was sharing with us how to plan a mission trip. And, and the, one of the first statements she said was, if you're a mission trip leader, you have to be a detail person. She said, if you are not a detail person, you don't need to lead that mission trip. So I'm thinking, okay, all the people that have led our trips are the detail people. Well, when, when Celise led our trip, she was detailed. She had stuff written. She had that folder. She would pull it out on every airplane flight of that long flight over there to Thailand and read all these details. She had these envelopes full of money, and she knew exactly what to pay, and and she, she paid for everything for everybody. She had it all worked out. I was so thankful for that. Kind of took it for granted. I talked to another lady at this conference, and she went on the same trip to Thailand to pass out uh, Bibles like we did. She said, but their team leader, what we do there is in addition to passing out Bibles, we also go to the slums. And to go to the slums, we have to buy rice and oil and noodles that we take into the slums. And so Celise just pulled out her envelope and she paid for all that. This other mission trip leader that took the same trip said they all got through the line in the grocery store, these big baskets full of rice, and she turned to the team and said, okay, everybody, that's going to be $15 a person. It was several hundred something bought or thousand bought. That's a lot of money, it sounds like. But, but the trip, the, the whole team freaked out because they weren't prepared. They were not prepared. And I thought, I'm so thankful that our team leader was prepared for that. Don't, don't get caught in ministry saying, oh God, I didn't think it was that big a deal. 
Be prepared. Be thorough. Number four, have a clear vision. Be flexible. Be thorough. Take advantage of opportunities. Take advantage of opportunities. Look at verse 9. Paul writes, For a wide door of effective service is opened up to me. Now, I don't believe that God always leads by open doors. I believe that the enemy can open a door too. <laughs> but often, that's the way God leads. There's an open door of ministry. And Paul speaks of that here. There's this effective door of ministry. And I'm going to take advantage of that. In other words, I'm going to stay in Ephesus for a while. I'm going to stay in ministry right here. Because God has opened up a door of ministry. He took advantage of the opportunities that are there. Do you know that that's one of the best ways to follow the leadership of God in your life? You say, well, what is God's will? All you have to do is say, God, where are you at work? What's the opportunity you're presenting to me? And then let me just walk through that door and do ministry. Take advantage of opportunities. Some of us get paralyzed when we see God give us an opportunity and we're not sure. Should I, should I take that? Should I serve there? I, I have this picture, a lot of us would be just like this person standing on the dock. And there's the boat. And we put one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock. And this boat's ready to pull out. That's the ministry boat. And we're not sure, should I get on that boat or stay on the dock? Should I get on the boat or stay on the dock? Should I, should I answer God's call to that ministry opportunity? Or should I stay here? Should I go or should I... You know what happens eventually as the boat pulls out? I'm not going to do it, but just to illustrate. You do the splits and end up in the water. Sometimes you just have to say, God, I believe you're in this. And I'm going to take advantage of this God-given opportunity. And you just step out. We've led a study here called, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. You have to be willing to take advantage of that opportunity. Number five, when you do, there will be adversaries. Number five, take advantage of opportunities, but accept opposition as a challenge. Accept opposition as a challenge. Again, the last part of verse nine, he says there's an open door and there are many adversaries. You know what a lot of us would say? There are too many barriers. There's too much opposition. There are too many adversaries. I'm getting out of here. I'm on my way to Corinth because it's not any good where I am in Ephesus or wherever you are. Instead of saying, okay, I know that some are opposed to the work. The Bible says that's the way it's going to be. Peter wrote, there's a, there's a roaring lion, the enemy, the devil, Satan himself, seeking to devour us like a roaring lion. Accept, accept opposition. It's going to be there. Let that be the challenge that God uses for you to be. Someone who overcomes. I don't know who first said it, but I've used it for years. Where there's light, there will be bugs. Sometimes we will leave our house and we want to come home to the porch light being on, but we'll turn it off because we don't want to come home to those mosquitoes and all that stuff that flies around in wonderful Rockport. Where there's a light, the bugs are going to be attracted. When you are making a difference for the kingdom of God, when you are making an impact in your, in your family or your community or your church, expect the enemy, the adversary, to start throwing stuff at you to keep you from being effective. I think about the Kennedys in Thailand. Oh, my goodness. They have had hardship after hardship after hardship since they've moved there. I've, I've lost count of how many wrecks Kevin has had. He'll probably listen to this sermon online and he'll call me or email me. It was at least four, possibly five. That, and it's just that kind of stuff happens. And they see, okay, that could be the enemy trying to stop us, but we're not stopping. We're faithful. We have put our hand to the plow and we're not going to look back. 
See, where there's a great opportunity, there's going to be great opposition. There was a song that was out when I was a brand new Christian that Andrus Blackwood used to do, and there was a line in it, I must be doing something right. I've got the devil real uptight. Must be walking right in the light. Must be doing something right. If there's no opposition in your life, maybe it's because you're not amounting to anything as far as God's kingdom goes. Maybe it's because you become so comfortable, the enemy doesn't have to worry about you. You know where he is? He's over there at the lights. Maybe your life is so cushy because you haven't said, I surrender all. John Patton, a missionary from Scotland, felt called the New Hebrides. He got there and, and as he tried to minister to this island of cannibals, his wife and, and child died and he buried them. That's a great missionary call, isn't it? He slept on their graves because he was afraid the cannibals there would come and dig up those bodies to eat them. He was there, I think he was there like four years, never saw a convert. Fortunately, God spared his life. Well, he finally left there, went on to do other ministry. Years later, his son, I believe his son or grandson went back. I think it was his son, went back to, the, to that same place, that same island to begin to do ministry. And in that effective ministry, finally, people started to come to Christ and the whole island just about was converted to Jesus Christ. That exciting? So Patton went back to visit where he had first planted, tried to plant the gospel with no results. And the chief of one of those tribes came to him and said, can I ask you something? When you were here many years ago, where did that army come from that would encamp around your hut at night and then leave during the day? Where did that army come from? Where did they go? And Patton said, there was no army. It was the angels of God protecting him. Listen, folks, the adversary is out there, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Accept that opposition. Say, thank you, Lord, that I've been given the privilege to, to be challenged, to be opposed, to suffer because of the name of Christ. Number six, have a team spirit. Have a team spirit. In verse 10 and 11, Paul mentions Timothy. He mentions the brethren. If Timothy comes, I want you to treat him this way. He's doing the Lord's work as I am. He's a co-laborer. All throughout Scripture, Paul mentions those who serve alongside him. He encourages them to accept Timothy and then send him on his way. Paul did ministry alongside of other people. He had a team spirit. Listen, if anybody could say, I'm the top dog, it's Paul. A Pharisee of Pharisees. He was as high as you could get in the, in the Jewish religious ladder. And then he came to know Christ and then had a, a special time of revelation by God himself that no one else had ever had. Paul could have said, man, I've got it. I've got it with God. We are close. Everybody needs to do what I say and follow me. If anybody could ever say that, he should have said that. But you read the New Testament. You know what you read? Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Silas. Paul and Mark, Paul and Luke, Paul and Timothy. He was always serving alongside someone else. That's a team spirit, folks. There are no superstars in the kingdom of God. There are no lone rangers. There, there should be no people who say, I've got it all together. Do what I say. Follow me because I'm special. We need a team spirit. See, Paul acknowledged his dependence on God, but he also acknowledged his dependence on other people. Have you done that? Say, well, I'm more spiritual than everybody else around me. You might be. 
I know more Bible than our pastor does. You might. I know more about the Christian life than anybody. You might. But it's not all about you, is it? The team spirit. Number seven. As a Christian leader, allow others the freedom to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. Allow others the freedom to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. Look at verse 12. I just love this. I can so relate to Paul. He writes, But concerning Apollos, another great preacher of that day, by the way, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Can I paraphrase? I tried my best to get Apollos to go to Corinth. I twisted his arm. I believe that God wanted him there. I believe that God impressed upon me to encourage him to go, but he wouldn't listen to me. He feels impressed to stay for a while and then maybe go later. Can I share with you the attitude that Paul has here? I mean, I can't read everything as he worded that, but there is a sense that I tried my best because I felt like it was the right thing for Apollos. But he had other, other plans. Now, how did Apollos have other plans? I believe God's Holy Spirit was leading him another way. Have you ever been so convinced of something that you try to convince someone else, yet they were convinced by God that, that it wasn't what you were convinced of? Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes, I don't know if that makes sense to me. And you say, okay, Lord, I don't get it. I've been reading my Bible. I've been reading your word. I've been listening to you. I've been praying. And you've impressed upon me that we, whether it's you or your family or your small group or your church or whatever, it, it, I feel like we should go this way. And God says something else to somebody else that, that is just as sincere and just as godly and just as devoted to spending time with God. And you say, okay, God, what's up here? When our church decided to, to, to uh, make the decision to build a new building, we were still meeting in that small building over there. Probably 90%, maybe not that many, probably about 90, 85, 90% of our church felt like it's the time to go. Let's, let's go and let's build and let's plan and let's strategize. But God seemed to be saying to some other people in our church, it's not, we don't need to do that. So it was very frustrating for me as a leader because I felt like this is what we need to do. Yet some godly people in our church were saying, we feel like that's not what God wants us to do. So I said, listen, man, it's my way or the highway. Get out of the way, you rebel rousers. I didn't say that. You know what we did? We said, God, we don't understand this. We believe this is your will. For some reason, everybody's not convinced this is your will. We're going to wait on you. And we waited. And we prayed. And we waited. And we prayed. We waited well over a year and prayed, God, what are you saying? And God began to speak to all of us about the direction he wanted us to go. And folks, I really believe that at that point in the ministry of our church, I had the, the respect of this congregation. I could have just made it happen. But I, I said, you know what? This is not all about me. You're saying something, Lord, to others. I'm going to listen. And I'm going to be sensitive. And I'm going to give the freedom for others to be influenced by the Spirit of God too. So we waited. That's not ever going to happen again. So... Just kidding. 
Paul says, I encouraged him greatly, but it was not his desire to do that. A while back, our church re-evaluated our mission statement. And I'm not bitter about this at all, but um, I was convinced that God wanted our mission statement to have four parts. I was, I was very convinced of that. I had spent some time praying about it, and I think that I really did sincerely seek the Lord's mind on this. And I had already written a study, the 101, 201, 301, 401, and, and it's like God was saying, okay, you've already got it four-part mission statement. There's your four studies. There's your, your four steps. Just do it. And we met with our ministry leadership team. At that time, almost all were volunteers. And we prayed about what God would have us put down as a mission statement for our church. And after we listed all this stuff and I had it up on the whiteboard and it looked good to me, four statements. This ministry leadership team said, I don't think so. Three. I said, well, that sounds good. I hear you, but four is so good. And we talked some more, and, and they said, no, Pastor, I think your mission statement needs to be three phrases, not four. And I said, well, that sounds good. Anybody else have any ideas? Any other feedback? It just came back that they said, we need to have three statements. And I'm not bragging on me. And, and I, again, I'm not bitter. But we ended up with three statements. Now, I really believe that God was speaking to that leadership team. I'm glad we have three statements. It was a lot of work for me to get us to that, for me to get to that point and to get our ministry structure in line with that. But you know what? God was in that. And, and I, I, I wasn't in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 at the time, but somewhere in that process, God impressed upon me, you know what, Kevin? I can speak to these people too. You need to listen to them. So we have three part mission statement. Love God. Connect with others, reach our world. One of the battle cries that weekend was it needs to fit on a t-shirt. So we, we got that accomplished. Christian leadership. Think about a football team being led by the quarterback. The quarterback is the leader of that team. But in many, many, many situations, there's a coach who calls in the plays. And that quarterback looks like he's got it all together and he's running the offense and he's, he's the one making it all happen. But you, you see him going like this, putting his, like that. So what's he, what's he doing? He's listening to the, the plays being called in from the sideline by the coach. This is a simple analogy and it may break down, but, but this is the football team and I'm the quarterback, but God's Holy Spirit is the coach. And I have to be sensitive to that. That's where we are. That's Christian leadership. It is not all about us. It's all about his leadership in our life. So that we could be equipped, prepared to reach others. How are we doing? Let's pray together. Just with heads bowed and eyes closed. Before we even hear a note from the instruments. I just want us to sit quietly. And listen. Would you ask yourself this question? Even ask it of the Lord. Lord, how am I doing at these ingredients? Am I open to your leadership? Am I flexible? Am I willing to understand that there will be challenges? Am I willing to 
to bend when God speaks to someone else in my midst and give the Holy Spirit freedom. How am I doing? Just ask the Lord that. I want to rewind back to what the choir sang. I surrender. How are we doing? Are those just empty words? Is that the desire of our heart? God, I surrender. It may be right there where you are. You have been able to fit into the going to church mold, but you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. You've never admitted that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Do you need to do that today? Where are you? Where are you? Heavenly Father, during this moment where we focus our hearts and minds on you and your desire for us, may we surrender to you. May we be yielded. May we allow you to redirect, to revise our plans for your glory. God, more than anything, I pray for those people seated right now in this room who've never opened their heart to Jesus Christ. I pray that this would be the moment you would give them the courage to step out. Come take this pastor's hand and simply share that they need Christ to save you. I pray you would do that today. We give you these moments to have your way and your will with us. It's in your precious name we